Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a special spotlight edition of the Shotgun Start. It is early June 2021. Andy, how are we doing? Oh, I'm, I'm not doing great, Brendan. I just, you know, all day I was thinking about how much I wanted to do, you know, how much I wish I had that John Feinstein book about, the, about this U.S. Open we're going to be spotlighting. And I just turned my head and I looked into my bookcase and there it is. No, really? I was wondering if you were going to be on the spot there to say, Brendan, and you weren't. You're looking around. You just found out you did have the book all on. I, right didn't, think I, I didn't think I had it. Oh, my God. And I didn't, I didn't venture downstairs to the dungeon to look at the book bookcase. And then I just was curious. I turned around, and all day I was like, God, I wish I had that. There's so many tidbits in it. Well. There we go. Well, that's a little tease. We are doing a spotlight here on the 2002 United States Open. They first opened every held at a, you know, publicly owned course, Muni, state, county, city owned course at Bethpage Black. Uh, as we speak, actually, Joel Beal had a nice article. You do have it. You're showing us this book. What a, we're off to a rousing start. Joel Beal had an article tonight talking about how this Tory Pines, we're doing this in 2021, Tory Pines. Might be the last of a real kind of muni. Piner's Pebble really on the on the rota, but of course not considered true publics. But uh, so, you know, it's, it's a little kind of tie in there. Tie in certainly with Tiger and Tory. This was kind of this the start of this muni run. We had two at Tory. Now we've had two at Bethpage. Bethpage has become a PGA of America course. And, and we'll get into the story of how Bethpage became the first real publicly owned. It, it was took 102 years, I think. This was the 103rd U.S. Open, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so we'll get into that. We'll obviously get into Tiger, Sergio, Phil, those New York fans we always hear so much about. Uh, and just a lot of amusing tidbits. It's brought to you by the U.S. Open Victory Club. It's U.S. Open week. This would be a good week to go join that. It's usopen.com slash victory club. Costs zero dollars and zero cents, as we often say. Uh, Ticket, you know, you don't early get... access to tickets. Fan, That's right. If you're fan club only experiences, you, limited you... edition merchandise costs nothing to do. They don't pester you with the emails. It's like a better way to kind of at least at least get clued in on the championships. U.S. Women's Open, U.S. Open, kind of be be in the know. Get, maybe you get an email and get alert. You end up getting tickets earlier than you know the rest of the commoners, the rest of the peasantry out there because you were in the victory club. And the big thing is they've come in to support a lot of these. These are a bear. They're a lot of work. You know, we did an hour 40 on Lee Trevino uh, a couple of days ago. People have seemed to like that so far. If you haven't listened to that, uh, go back and listen to that. This one, I think, will be a, a rollicking little hour or so, maybe two. Who knows how long we go. Um, but a lot of fun stuff. A lot of shotgun start type nuggets we'll, we'll throw in here. You know, little nugget that I just found thumbing through this book. 
that I, yeah, this is why I wish I had known I had the book. Really bummed out about it now. Um, Just get off the book. Let's go. Come on. We got to record it. Do you know know who the head of championships for the USJ was for this tournament? Tom, Tom Meeks, right? No, no. The Riddler, Fred Ridley. Oh, okay. I mean, there's all these titles. I I didn't know which one was. Okay. All right. The Riddler. Great. Want me to keep the thumb through? Find some more? No, no. I'll start with another odds and ends. This was the famous one where they gave Golf Digest handed out the 35,000 Be Nice to Monty buttons. Right? Mm -hmm. Monty showed up. He'd been mercilessly heckled. Uh, And... He talked about how they actually weren't too bad. He played like absolute crap. It was terrible. But he's like, oh, the fans weren't too bad. Uh, so I just handed him out. Open fans. This is from New York Post. They sh- they were shouting cheerio. These New York assholes are shouting cheerio at Monty. Have a nice day. One was reported to have shouted, you look thinner in person. To Monty. No shouts of Mrs. Doubtfire. He goes... I didn't think I could win here. I, if I didn't think I could win here, I wouldn't have bothered flying over here to Beth Page. It's quite a long way. He'd just gotten divorced, which we went into. And his, he was our first spotlight ever. Monty, yeah. quote, socially, I am very happy. That seems to be sort of a euphemism for something else that he had going on. To do well here, never mind about talking about winning or whatever the case may be. It's only one round. My God, we've only walked seven miles. We've got another one spot. Another 21 miles to walk yet. There's a long way to go. Monty was dreading. So the, the miles out there, they had to walk. But people even said he looked thinner in person. This was the infamous Be Nice to Monty uh, campaign. So uh, he said it was it was uh, it worked out. It worked for him. It, he wasn't hammered as much. So that's a random aside. We'll start to tease you. Let's talk about stop flipping through the book. Well, it I'm is trying what it to is. find something that they're the only the thing that the reason I most wanted the book. I read this book when I was, I don't know, 18, <laughs> some young age. This was a book that I read and I hadn't even opened it since then. And I remember like the most vivid memory I remember was uh, was Justin Leonard like complaining, aiming for walkways. Yes. Do you yeah. have stuff on that? I know I have stuff on ten and twelve. Couldn't, and couldn't not get the ball to the, the fairway. It's two hundred fifty yard carry over talk, like the fescue. Talking about like yeah. a recent major winner, one of the premier players on tour, couldn't get the ball to the fairway, and that's all I wanted out of this book. Are you talking? One of the best players in the world at the time couldn't get the ball to the fairway. Yeah, we'll we'll get into some of the course setups. You know, thanks to the USGA US Open for making this happen. But hopefully, those wounds have healed because we'll talk a little bit about those setups 18, 19 years ago. Um, Let's get into how it ended up at Beth Page. What this sort of momentous sort of uh, transition, this shift to actually go to a Muni course. How did it happen? It started this era that seems to be sort of ending with Torrey Pines, at least for a while uh, this year. But how did how did we end up at Beth Page Black? All right, so this is a crazy story. It's all because of David Fay, who yep. this was his big dream, and then a few other individuals that really pushed it from a political side of things as well as a you know Beth Page side of things. Um, 
Bill Pennington of the New York Times penned a wonderful, wonderful profile on this. If you search like Beth Page Black U.S. Open 2002, it will pull up, and I highly recommend everybody read it. It was it's a wonderful it's a, article. It's the coolest history that's evergreen on how this ended up. It was published one day in newspaper, newspaper. You know, it wasn't fleeting. It's not a game story. It's a fun like evergreen story of how the Beth Page got into major championship golf. Again. Let me. Uh, I'm going to read the lead because you know it obviously right. released yep. the week of the U.S. Open. Beginning Thursday, the United States Open, the national championship of uh, of the August United States Golf Association will be contested for the first time on that bastion of the weekend duffer, the publicly owned golf course. Since 1895, the Open has been welcomed annually at the country's best and most exclusive private clubs, but never at what is known as a muni a public course owned by a town, a county, or a state where the clubhouse carpet may be threadbare, but the door is open to all. Thought it was just Good a writing. wonderful kind of intro. Um, you know, prior to the Reese Jones work there, Beth Page Black was in a very sad state. It was, it was like so many munis that you would go to today. Like uh, there are many golf courses in similar states of Bethpage Black that where if you brushed them up, they would be incredible places to play because a lot of these munis were designed by some of the best architects of the world. Bethpage Black, Black happened to be uh, A.W. Tillinghast. Although, I- you know, everybody wants to throw shade about some other guy. What I don't care. Just, you know, let... Let Tilling, let it be tilling has, you know. Don't pull. Can I, can I throw you a, a Reese Jones quote about this? So sure. this is another tie-in. We're back at immunity this week at Tory Pines. That Reese has the Open Doctor, as he was known in this oh, era. God. The Open Doctor. The, the the stuff in the article about him being on his hands and knees yeah. on site is so fucking ridiculous. He did such a shitty job with it. On too. his knees, digging it out. Yeah, you you don't think he was out there? Maybe he's a shirtless shaper. He's on his knees. Um, this was uh, this is a Gary Van Sickle article in 2001. So a year before they're going, a year countdown. He goes, thanks, Reese Jones, who donated his services, free of charge, huh. donated his services. Didn't, didn't, still made money on the contractor, I guarantee Black that. Has never, Black has no, never looked better. It's a course rating, this, that, and the other. Never you know. looked better. It didn't uh, look better when it opened. Here's the Reese Jones quote. This was A.W. Tillinghast's ultimate course. This was his answer to Pine Valley. Which, I mean, maybe? I don't know. Tilling has designed a lot of courses. I just hadn't heard that, that this was his answer to Pine Valley. You know, maybe it's Wingfoot. Maybe it's San Francisco. I don't know. It's San Francisco. I I just don't know. Anyways, I just had never seen it framed that way. That was a 2001 framing of it. What's amazing is despite Reese's best efforts of defacing and and doing the shittiest restoration job you could possibly do. It's still one of the best courses in the world. So that is, you know, does speak volumes to the piece of land that is on and the wonderful okay. design, you know, yes. is that yes. Reese, Reese did his best to mess it all up. 
oh, like on. he does everywhere. And it's right, still what, really great. When they found it, when they found it in 1995. Yeah, it was a disrepair. It was it was the, the state of so many munis all over the place. Um, here's a good line for the Pennington article. Uh, playing the black, one golfer said upon discovering it for the first time was like finding a vintage Thunderbird abandoned in the woods. It, it They talk about... so. It was David Faye's brainchild, right? Faye, yeah. Faye was like a work, son of a working man, right? Like yeah. a horse trainer's, like a, a stable man or something. I'm not, I'm not familiar with the equine trade, but um, the equine you know, trade. He, what good vocabulary! I wouldn't have known where to go there. That's probably not even a thing that the exists. Quest, I'm just the equestrian, the equestrian um, world might appreciate so, that ver- uh, verbiage. Faye didn't grow up playing the. Tony private clubs in the New York area. He, he kind of had a familiarity and background. With he was Beth like, se- yeah, they were like, oh, he was 70 miles away. He was at Beth Page all right. the time. It's like, what? No. No, yeah. It wasn't. They made it seem like he like grew up going there every Saturday. But I mean, he was familiar with it as a public course player. But yeah, what they did. Grew up 70 miles away. Correct. Um, so here's a little more for the Pennington article. How the 102nd U.S. Uh, U.S. Open descended upon the unkept Bethpage course is a tangled tale, one that curiously centers around a strange but influential cadre of public golf advocates, a rabbi, a stable master's son, and a sofa bed queen. Unbelievable. What a collection. So Faye organizes a big day out with the uh, with the USGA officials, Reese and others. Reese. And he tries yeah. to make it like a surprise. He didn't. Nobody wanted. He didn't want anybody to know that they were going out there. But of course, like, they, everybody knew. Everybody had heard that the the big wigs of the USGA were coming to town. It was supposed to be a surprise. Nineteen ninety five. We're seven years before they ever have the open. Um, yeah, but they they rolled up to Bethpage and they had like the welcome committee yeah. already for them. It was no surprise. So. So, uh, Faye, like, early in the round, it's not going well. So, here's here's the from the article. Thirty minutes into the fight of fancy or flight of fancy he had orchestrated, Faye was aware of the quiet cussing going around, uh, going on around him. Faye said, "I've heard some sappers uh, were mumbling." There's no way we're going to host anything here. Uh, the Black Horse was showing us where, situated near the epicenter of Long Island's post-war population boom, the course had attracted 30,000 to 45,000 golfers every year since the late 1940s, twice the number that play on most public golf courses, and in a lot of cases, like four times. Um, operated on a slim state budget, one harshly slashed during the f- fiscal crisis of the 1970s, also went through the Great Depression. Didn't didn't talk about that. Um, the Black Course had little irrigation. The staff was spread over the park's five golf courses, and the maintenance was limited. Faye bit his tongue until the foursomes reached the fourth hole, which offers a sweeping panorama uh, from tee to green, the 517-yard hole. This is the famous hole with the with the great yep. hazards. It's yep. just an outstanding hole surrounded by thick trees offers a dramatic vista, incomprehensible, close to the congestion of the Long Island Expressway just four miles from the Bethpage grounds. I, and this is Faye. 
I think right there, some people stared off that fourth tee and said, ah, I get it now. By day's end, Faye said there is not a single naysayer to his once far-fetched idea. It's kind of a cool progression. Like they show up, they go, somebody, this, these, these, these USGA, you know, elites, right? Get on any course they want in America. They're at Beth Page where Faye has a history of it. They may not. They go in these bunkers. There's no sand. They can't get the ball out. They go to find a rake. There's not rakes around. There's weeds. There's entire bushes growing in the bunkers. And they get to the fourth tee and they're like, ah, I get it. Pretty cool. Cool anecdote of this 1995. Long time before, you know, of course, obviously, before it would ever be in condition to host a a U.S. Open. So Uh, that afternoon, he's meeting with state officials, course officials, and they're trying to figure out how they could make this thing work. Um, they knew the course would have to be closed, you know, and they'd have to do tons of different things. And, uh, you know, the big sticking point came down to the renovation, which would cost 4 million, but Faye was already like ready to go. And he's like, the USGA is putting up, putting up the money. Yeah. They're like, there's no way like like some guy in Syracuse is going to pay Like the New York government is going to pay to have. Of course, on the So this is what he said. I knew the state couldn't pay for it. Some guy in Syracuse wasn't going to feel warm and fuzzy about the state dumping $3 million into some golf course on Long Island. We had to pay for it. So the USGA flips the bill. Reese, you know, design, waives his design fee, but probably still collects his 15% on all contractor costs. So probably still <laughs> makes off with, uh, you know, 400000 from the job. But, you know, nobody will say that out loud. <laughs> I mean, it was a massive job, right? I mean, it was it was uh, it was I, a massive guess... job that one of a bunch of other jobs that he, should, he was never qualified to win. <laughs> yeah, but I think this should be a big part of Faye's legacy. No, I mean, reading uh, the Huntington article, it just feels like he considered like immediately didn't haggle over who was going to foot the bill. Oh my God, lights flickering here as lightning hits. Wi-Fi is holding on. Um, <laughs> Faye considered the restoration of course, a service to public golf. And they they knew it would still make they knew they would make a bunch of money on the on the event too. They they were gonna sell like record number of tickets. Um it would most likely be one of the widely watched television events because, you know, it was a public course, which was part of it. You know, you had Tiger at this peak when it came around in 02 and they'd done the restoration. Um and so like he he considered it a service to public golf. We were gonna foot the bill. The big thing was his request in 97, he, he, the state promised they wouldn't raise the, yes. the economical greens fees, 31 bucks on the weekday, 39 on weekends uh, for at least three years. So at least you had to keep the rates the same. You couldn't make it this fan- nice course and then all of a sudden jack the rates up and, and change this whole dynamic. It's um, uh, Yeah, that was cool. One of the things I loved from this article was uh, a quote from Gelman. I forgot his first name. Um, this is the rabbi. The rabbi. The Gel- He's just like this sort of ambassador for Beth Page. I'd played <laughs> it forever, been in, seen it in all its forms. So. Uh, he said, I have this vision of a working class guy sitting on the couch watching the U.S. Open. And he turns to his son or daughter and says, Tiger, better watch out because I know that putt. And it breaks to the left. That could not have uh, happened in any other U.S. Open ever. And that, you know, when you think about the gravitas, the, you know, the really amazing things about these things, these playing at a golf course that's affordable, like this one, 
31 dollars mm-hmm. 39 yep. on the weekends that you could yep. go do this and, and play this golf course anybody of any you know economic socio you know uh economic yep. ba- background could could go play that golf course yeah I mean, they, they leaned into that. I mean, that became obviously a big part of the storytelling around it and the sleeping in cars and all that. But, you know, this this was a, a an enormous sort of breakthrough. And, and Faye was, you know, had the right approach about it. We're going to foot the bill. I want you to keep it the way it is after we leave. And, you know, when the circus leaves town, let's return the black to the regular golfer. Um, the first customer is the guy coming up the 18th, lugging his bag, sweaty but smiling after enjoying a treasure of a golf course. And this led to... Tory Pines in 808. Mm-hmm. Tory Pines becoming again now in 2021. Uh, and, and because of the collective vision, this outing in 1995, you know, it brought the 2002 Open. Tory Pines then becomes, you know, 08. USGA anticipates keeping Beth Page back in, black in its informal rotation of open courses, an honor once reserved only for the country's preeminent private courses. They returned at 09, which was the fastest they'd ever returned the US Open to a venue. Seven years when obviously Lucas Glover won on a Monday. Uh, Faye said, I don't see this as a one and done deal. What we've done at the Black is too majestic and important. People better be asking when we're coming back. And now it's a uh, PGA of America course. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, know, and now, it's they, now they aren't going back. Yeah. I and, mean, and, that, it's kind of sad. I mean, the tough thing is where it is. Like New York, you got. Wingfoot and Shinnecock too. It's hard to have three of those courses in the U.S. Open Rota, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a recency. He he. Faye had some quotes to Beal tonight, just about like, it just presenting all sides of the argument of like it's very hard to deal with sort of local local municipalities. Like those are wild cards, and you know it, it, he understands them getting away from it. So. But just seeing it the way it's written in 02, it just it feels like 19 years, 18 years later, we're already kind of it, it's the era seems to be sort of ending for municipal golf here with Tory Pines. Um, all right. Should we get to what do you want to get to the sort of the, the work that was done, the conditioning, the setup? What should we get to before we get to the tournament? I mean, we could talk about the work. The work was, it, you know. In many ways, it was great. Like, you know, he brushed up a lot of stuff. But, you know, I think, like, when we look back on this era of municipal golf and in the U.S. Open, the biggest uh, the biggest miss is going to be hiring Reese Jones. Okay. You know, the years, the years, yeah, the years 1995. Bill Cora, Ben Crenshaw just built Sand Hills. Uh Uh-huh. Think about how much different Beth Page Black and Tory Pines would look if they hired Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw. Yeah. And it would probably both of those courses would probably be better municipal golf facilities. They'd be more popular than they are, which is hard to believe. Um, they'd be better golf courses, and uh, they'd also be just like model for better, maybe a better champ, probably better championship, yeah. more varied championship golf courses. Reese did the same thing. The same shit you see at Bethpage Black, you see at Torrey Pines, you see at Medina Number no. Three, you see at Cog Hill. He just did the same thing over and over again, and and it was a, a formula. You know, he wrote 
Derek Duncan interviewed him. He talked about it. He built the same greens, uh, 18 of the same greens everywhere. You know, players like that. So I do that. Phil was talking today about how you never go in a bunker. You're always, the, the green's always going to be sloping away from you. No matter what bunker you go in, the, the bunker will be uh, sloping away from you. Doesn't uh, believe in vari- variety. Very formulaic. Bunkers on right and left side. Like, he was restoring a tilling hash. Like, one of the things you'll notice is when you look at watch, I encourage people to watch the broadcast. It was a, you know, fun one, you know, just to kind of think back, like, I jog some memories of me when I was in high school watching it. I like for some reason distinctly remember the rain delay. Like I remember the sight of the rain delay and the cars. Like it was really weird. Like I had this like deja vu of watching it. But anyways, um, you know, you wa- you look at the greens. There are all these small circles. It's like that's not how Tillinghast desi- designed greens. And you realize like, you know, I talked to somebody that knew a little something and, and he, he goes, you know, the biggest thing that he, he screwed up was he brought the bunkers into the green pads, the original green pads, instead uh, of bringing the greens out to the bunkers. So he, yeah. he essentially ruined the place because you, you could never get the greens get back. back. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. were, it was all just sitting there and he, he took a dozer to the original stuff, which is just <laughs> utterly incompetent and, and why he's just an awful golf architect. Uh, all right. So that work gets done. Maybe, you know, mixed reviews, not to everyone's great pleasure. Um, they get to, no, but here's the thing. It's, it was way, it's way better than it was better than it was. Yeah. Okay. So like, this is important, but like, here's the thing is like, had the USGA not been obsessed with his Reese's father and, and gone the route of nepotism instead of hiring the best architects, you know, in the time frame. You know, the people with the most respect for, you know, you know, who turned into the best restoration, you know, experts, whether it was Tom Doak or, or Bill Cora, Ben Crenshaw, like they would have had just they would still be going there. That's the thing. That's the sad thing is that these decisions are why both of those sites are off of the Rota is because they got they have shoddy architecture and to, they have to redesign both of them, redo both of them if they wanted yeah. to have U.S. Opens there. All right, so that work gets done. It, it it's improved, and to David's face credit, they you know put the money in to bring it to playability. They were able to host the U.S. Open in '02 and '09. Uh, they, you know, these giant telling ass bunkers, right? Were kind of just in total disrepair. Craig Courier is the superintendent brought in. John Gary writes writes this lengthy profile. Now this was. You know, now superintendents, you see, you know, we majors drop in on these places for a week. They visit the set of golf, you know, uh, live from and you know, there's articles written. But I like oh too. I mean, this was like a big profile in this courier because of all the work he had to do. He goes, I'm just a dirt farmer from upstate New York. But he had been, you know, he did a little he did a little time at Augusta National. I think he was at Piping Rock and Garden City, maybe as an assistant. Like guy had some uh Obviously, had a turf grass degree. Apparently, um, when they showed, they showed up like nobody on the staff. They had like five or six guys on the staff before they did all the work. Nobody had a turf grass degree, um, and then they just like completely overhauled it. I think they were talking about they had twenty something that had turf grass out of like hundreds of people that they hired for the maintenance of five courses. Right, so like total change in investment in the actual maintenance after after the work is done. Um, 
and, and like they get to O2 and it's just like it's perfect, right? The 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 players are talking about the greens are the best they'll ever see. I mean, you hear that a lot when they show up at these majors and other, you know, Shadow Creek, wherever else. Uh the bunkers were perfect, just so far cry from obviously when David Fay showed up in 1995. Um, what Craig has done here is outstanding. So the USGA's director of championship agronomy. When he started the fairways were weeds, the bunkers were a disgrace and everything was overgrown. Now everybody says it's the best conditioned U.S. Open course. <clears throat> Surprisingly, the turnaround was accomplished by a young man who had not previously held a superintendent's job. Like, obviously, he had experience at some of those great courses in America. Reese, when he was introduced to the tall, guileless courier in 1997, had to ask how old he was. Curry answered 26. Jones smiled and said, when your open is over, you're going to be 41. Jones, who worked closely with Courier while renovating Beth Pledge Black, now hails him, hails him as a greenskeeper, greenkeeper. I can't say enough about the guy. He has no excuses and all solutions. So this guy, like, grinds his ass off. You get a young go-getter, this opportunity of a course that's being redone to host the U.S. Open. You get to that week. Had some insight. Garrity must have just hung out in like the maintenance, the, the maintenance tent and shed all, all week. Kind of a cool, cool feature. <laughs> they, he overheard uh, Couriers telling the crew members who would be rolling the greens to keep rolling until you run out of time and reminded everyone to use plastic rakes to fluff up the trampled rough wherever they saw it. We're mowing in only one direction from green to tea. Um, that's all we've heard. All we've heard for five years is how flat the greens are, how the pros are going to eat them up. But there are so many subtle breaks that people don't see. And nobody's putting on these greens at the speed they're at today. Apparently, they were usually rolling at 12 for, you know, regular play. They were 14 plus for that week, as you might expect. Um, so he, I talked about his experience. Um, yeah. Black Horse had skeleton staff of five or six. Nobody had a degree, turf grass degree. The greens were decent, uh, but the bunkers were just a disaster. It looked like, you know, it was a public course for 60 years. So um, now, you know, Courier, they like, he took sort of a, I don't know if he took a pay cut. Probably not. He's 26, but it wasn't a salary made. He's obviously advanced very well in the industry. He's no longer at, at Beth Page Black, but he I was largely credited that. with it being uh, perfect. So, uh, Go ahead. What's the story? So this is this is a second. This is a story through the grapevine. The details might not. It, it, this is the gist of the story. I'm not sure about the exact. I, I'm not sure the exact dollar amounts are 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 true. But anyways, Courier is out at a bar, and uh, the the tour course a few years ago for the playoff event, Glen Oaks. Yeah. Where was, DJ took that crazy line yeah. in 18. Yep. Very, 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 very wealthy club, right? They, yep. they they need a super. And, you know, I think the greens chair or something is at the bar and finds out who Courier is and says to okay. Courier, like, I want, we, we want you to come work at Glen Oaks. And uh, Courier's like, I, I like working at Beth Page. And, and allegedly, he, they offered him four hundred grand on the spot, to which he turned it down. He said, "I had Holy to. Crap. I have to talk to my wife. Like four hundred grand a year, like car, all this. I have to talk to my wife. The uh, the greens chair, whatever club representative, 
allegedly then said, how about we make it 500 a year and you don't call your wife? Unbelievable. <laughs> so he went over there. There are some publicly available documents I find, yeah, that may attest to the kind of figure. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Fortuitous time to be at the bar, I suppose. Was Just it a VFW bar? Probably not. Splash, VFW. splash 100 grand on the table and say, why don't you not call your wife? <laughs> so uh all right that's enough anyways that was part of just obviously the reese work but yeah they went from five or six with no tur- turf grass degrees to a full-time staff of 25 uh 75 with 20 that had turf grass degrees and they just talk about courier was like i mean there's so much more that goes into it right i mean you're you're operating five course you know it's like you're a ceo at that point it was just all the equipment and and maintaining five courses, obviously one of which is hosting a major championship. All right. We've done the renovation. We've done the conditioning. Let's get into a little bit of setup and then we'll start talking about the players. Uh, Just a ton of hype for this Muni, a million articles about the sleeping in your car thing. You know, I saw it referred to as public, public golf Mecca. Rick Riley called it Chapala. I assume as a Valhalla, like the chops play there. Chapala. Uh, you know, it's exclusivity of a different kind, they said, because of how hard it is to get onto. Um, just a lot of a uh, lot of, you know, Robert Moses and the, you know, the, the, the mastermind of the New York Park system. A lot of stuff on how this became, you know, the, the, the sleeping in your parks, people's championship or people open. Um, this is when the, the sign really hit the mainstream yeah. too. the extremely yeah. difficult sign. That we see plastered on every piece of merchandise possible, whatever the you know PGA goes there now. Yeah. Uh, so setup. They took this is Jeff Shackelford in the Los Angeles Times, 2003. There was Beth Plage Black in 2002, a topic that still had players fuming in February. So he must have written this, you know, after Riviera. They'd come to Riviera in 03. On the 10th hole at Bethpage, guys couldn't reach the fairway, and Tom Meeks thought it was justified. Fred Funk said at Riviera this year. Here is a guy with his head up his butt, I think. Fred Funk didn't even play at 02, saying Tom Meeks. Here's a guy with the head up, his head up his butt. His four, the Bethpage's 490-yard par 4 10th had 250-yard force carry over high rough to reach the fairway. During the second-round downpour, 15 consecutive players were unable to reach the short grass. Did you hear that? 15 straight could not get the carry, could not make the carry to the fairway. Meeks acknowledged he was aware that the forecast storm would make the carry nearly impossible for most, (laughs) yet he refused to move tees up before the round. Nick Faldo, who got a special exemption, finished fifth. Unbelievable. Faldo said... I had to keep reminding myself, I am a golfer. This is not fighting in the jungle. If we had a 15th club, I would have needed a machete or a grenade launcher. <laughs> For Saturday's third round, the USGA moved the tee markers up on, up on number 10, five yards. So from 250 <laughs> to 245 here. Noticing the less than generous concession, golfer Paul Stankowski Stankowski reached down, picked up an NBC microphone next to the tee and said, thanks for the extra yard, hoping that Meeks was listening. 
just as controversial was the fairway contour set up for Beth Page 490 yard par 412. The USGA provided a tiny 12 yard wide landing area for those driving 260 to 270. If a player carried a left side bunker and another patch of dense rough with the 285 yard tee shot, the fairway ex- expanded to a meager 26 paces. What were they thinking? Nick Price said of the 12th hold setup. It defies logic. Price, I think, who is now a USGA sort of. He's on the exact committee, I think. Yeah, yeah. Conciliary of some sort. So 10 and 12 were like the real point bones of contention. 10 to carry. I love that he knew the weather was coming. 15 guys in a row couldn't carry it. Um, it was I was called Death Page, set up at 7,200 uh, yards, par 70. 7,200 yards. Nowadays, uh, it'd be. It's crazy. I mean, so the Pro V1's out at this point, but like yeah. Tiger's still using a PT. Tiger Sergio's using a PT um, with Tigers using a steel shaft in his driver. One of the other th- so Phil on uh, on the thirteenth hammers a drive. <laughs> Phil nukes a drive. At this, Phil's a long player. He's he's two fifty to the front edge. No wind. It's soft, but it's two fifty the front edge, two seventy to the to the pin. I mean, they're talking on the broadcast. They're like, he's gonna absolutely ha- have to hammer this ball to get there. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you think about this in today's context, and yeah. he murders it. Like the <laughs> the exact quote, the exact quote is is he busts a three wood. And it ends up short of the front edge of the green. Unbelievable. Like 245. This is when the game has its sub-relation. Like Tiger was the, just the sheer power and athleticism in his golf swing at this point. Like just to watch him swing at this point, it yeah. was just like I just remembered, oh, my God, this was just a completely different player. He was hitting at like 300. Yeah. It was like a, it was like a violent. It was just a, oh. it was just the action was so different than anything you'd seen at that point. And now it would maybe be sort of dime a dozen. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. With obviously less success, but uh, I, I just got to get one more price on the carries and everything. they keep doing this. They'll take the fun out of the game because only a few guys could win. So a lot of guys said like they're just giving it to Tiger. We'll get to Sergio, of course, with the rain delay stuff, but or the conditioning. But if they keep doing this, they'll take the fun out of the game because only a few guys can win, said Price. But maybe that's what the USGA wants. Later, asked if he felt the USGA was tailoring open courses for Woods in particular, Price, who has won three majors, winked and said, it should be obvious to you, too. Uh, Tim Heron had a quote like that. Uh, he was guessing most. He said he was guessing most of the day what to hit. I had one hole where it was 234 yards to the front edge, and I hit a three-wood, and I crushed it, and it went 218. So, like, the rain came in. It was overcast. You know, Tim Aaron hitting three-wood, 218. Harrison Frazier, recent player at the uh, Palmetto Championship, said the rain made the world's best players hit clubs they weren't used to hitting in the greens. The course played 7,600 yards. Then he added the length, played into Woods' hands. Most players agreed. Scott McCarron, the anchorman, Ron Burgundy, if there's ever a course that's set up for him, he may be the only one who can reach some of these fairways. 
and the only one who can hit greens with an iron. So a lot of these guys are like, it's really, you're playing in the you tiger's ready? hands. You ready for another story? Yeah, let's go. I got let's it from the it. book that you told me yep. to stop thumbing through. All right, fine, whatever. On Monday, Craig Stadler couldn't fly the bunker on number 12. Uh, when a couple of fans began heckling him good-naturedly, Stadler turned to one of them and said, Here, you try. The guy ducked under the ropes, oh. grabbed Stadler's driver, and smoked the ball over the bunker. Oh, no. The crowd went nuts. Stadler couldn't stop laughing. He had the man walk down the fairway with him as a reward. That's amazing. Johnny, That's like when the guy came out at the Ryder Cup at Hazeltine and made that putt. All right. Johnny's son, Andy, qualified. Yeah, qualifier. Yep. So... The tenth. Apparently, hole. when 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 Andy when it poured, he wore a hat backwards with a bucket hat on top of it. There was an entire article about the the rain time fashion. He did a double brim bucket hat plus a hat. Johnny was just over the moon because I guess Andy. I think Andy made the cut or he played well. So all right, so, go ahead. So Andy couldn't get, carry carry the fairway to the fairway on ten. Johnny said, "That's just not right." There should always be a place where you can land a ball without having to hit it 250 yards and have have a shot. That hole just doesn't have one. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Um, anything else on the on the course setup? I mean, the guys were surprised. The flat greens, they they're like, there's a lot more breaking these as opposed i mean they're reputed still to have flat greens if i recall from the 2019 pga yeah. you know not enough but like they were surprised like it's all we heard from meeks coming into this is these greens are flat but i'm seeing plenty of breaks a couple other like course area like uh, course like sort of atmosphere anecdotes uh i thought this was cool uh it was nine months after the 9-11 terrorist attacks it's not cool but like a, a sentimental thing yeah Nine months after the terrorist attacks, there was a sense of patriotism that connected the fans and the golfers. More than 120 local firefighters, most of whom worked at Ground Zero, served at served as marshals on the 17th hole. This is a Rich Samini article in the Daily News. A lot of those fellows were still attending 9-11 funerals, so I'm sure they enjoyed the escape from reality. Some said the golf helped them remember. Others said it helped them forget. And the, finally, the 17th was the whole of the scene of a... Uh, the scene of a truly magical moment on Sunday when Scott Hoke wearing a red, white, and blue golf shirt, a featured American flag in a New York skyline made a hole in one on 17. Uh, And the the, the 120 fire firefighters were the uh, gallery. And they talked about that, like in 02, it was rowdy. We'll get to that. But like, it was still like this collective sort of patriotism coming together versus 09 when it like rained and they're doing mudslides and it's just like all out complete chaos like just really like they let loose in 09 very different sort of sense like to the uh rowdiness it was rowdy both times but but sort of 02 there was sort of this collective coming together at nine months after uh, uh 9-11 um all right where should we go next there's another kid Derek Tolan who qualified 16 from, right yeah and he was from Columbine which oh, was really? a re, you know 99 the shooting at Columbine. So that was like another, sure. you know, kind of just interesting story uh, from yep. that too. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, fans, like we were doing atmosphere, doing course, like 
the fans were crazy. Like they were shouting. Obviously, the Sergio stuff. We'll get to Sergio. It's his. Do you want a practice round story? Sure. Sure. All right. So Duvall is playing with Andy Miller, Johnny's kid. Johnny's kid. Yeah. Naturally, many and, and this is from Five Seeds book, the open, uh, uh, open. Uh, naturally, many in the crowd were far more familiar with the father than the son. They kept yelling, "Come on, Johnny!" Adam Duvall said. <laughs> so finally, I said to this one guy, "The guy's name is Andy. You're watching Andy, not Johnny." The guy kind of nods and says, "Yeah, okay, right. He's Andy." Then I get over my ball and yells, come on, Ernie, give it a ride. I like that. That's pretty good. That's good. That's good. Um, all right. Fans were nuts. I mean, Phil becomes like the sweetheart. Tiger Sergio becomes sort of this, I don't know, villain or petulant child. They this were is really this is the the shine came turning. off Sergio. Yeah, they had the ninety nine Medina. He was still El Nino, and this is like where it really started to turn on him. Um, this was characterized as like you were lining up, you know, putts in front of the right field bleachers at Yankee Stadium. Chance of let's go Mickelson. They did the birthday thing. <laughs> this was a Sports Illustrated gamer. Oh, I, this they is what the, I remember watching it. It's like every year we have to deal with the Mickelson birthday bullshit. I know. This is, it it this is where it started. This is where it started. Somebody shouted this in Sports Illustrated. Hey, Phil, are those A cups classy? Uh, so just a lot of a lot of shouts like that along those kind of lines. Um, what's more, though, I for again, before we get into players and tournament, I found an 09 or I'm sorry, I found an 09 Bamberger article. About so when they when they played there, I thought this was like just good history given how we deal with the PGA tour setups week to week and how the USGA since then, you know, these player surveys and these player critiques. And I don't know if they have influence, but they seem like very sensitive to it. And Bamberger, like this is 09. We're not talking about the O2 one anymore, but he just wrote this like the USGA needs to hold their hold their ground because we're just we can't be having PGA tour golf every week. He goes, Tiger and Phil, the 57 other golfers who played all the way through the Monday finish, did the national recreation a big favor. You helped reestablish the USGA's authority over American golf. Every week on the PGA Tour, the pros play in their own events under conditions they mandate for money they, when you get right down to it, have raised themselves. Tim Fincham, the tour commissioner, is not the boss of players. He works for them. We need more USGA in our duffing lives, just like the pros. Whether we were schlepping through the Beth Page mud or watching Johnny Miller, it became so obvious last week. Jefferson wrote the government's getting their power from the people, getting their power from the consent of the governed. Well, if the pros allowed the USGA to govern them in last week's trying conditions, that should be enough of an endorsement for us. Lead us, Far Hills. Lead us. Take us to the promised land. When the USGA first held the US Open at Beth Page, Tiger and Phil had a lively battle at the People's Open, a joyous escape at the September 11th attack, after the September 11th attacks. This year, on the people's side of the, the ropes, the party felt desperate at times. <clears throat> Part of golf's modern problem is the lack of a czar. There is no old Tom, no Charles Blair McDonald, no Clifford Roberts. There's no trusted tyrant. 
The game is too democratic, lowercase d, it goes without stating, for its own good. You may think of the USGA as an excuse for a cocktail party for a bunch of old prepsters, but it's not. What it is is a bewildering blend of veteran professionals reporting to an ever-changing board of volunteer laypeople. It's an amazing that decisions get made at all. This is, I just, I, I think this is a good reminder of where we are in 2021. Last week, surrounded by soggy grass, sleep-deprived golfers, and overserved spectators, the USGA white shirts got so much right and inspires nothing but confidence. A mess was averted, somehow out of the mud, and despite the sputtering schedule, they produced an odd and interesting championship on an impossibly difficult and lush public golf course <clears throat> featuring the best players in the world, which leaves us with the question for the USGA. Turn to us next. Turn to us next. And, you know, th- think about all the bifurcation and everything that's happened, like 02 to 09. Uh, you know, this, this he viewed, Bamberger viewed these Beth Page Opens as like, sort of a a model for the national recreation and obviously like a a pop back at some of the PGA tour, which is pretty far from the national recreation. Yeah. So, so I just felt sort of obliged to sort of center ourselves on that as we are in 2021 and talking about our first real public course, I guess opens and, you know, regulation of equipment that may or may not be coming. All right. Um, let's get to the actual golf. Uh, Tiger Woods wins it. Yeah. Sergio plays with them in the final pairing. It's everything you want. Phil ends up runner up one of his many runner ups, but Sunday was never really that close. Never. Tiger won. I saw, I read like an old Alan Shipnuck article on like heroes and zeros. He goes like the final round was a total dud flame out. Tiger bogeyed his first two holes. Yeah, right? he three putted. He three putted his first two holes, and then he, and then he bogeyed. Uh, he three putted eighteen, and he bogeyed sixteen. So he uh, he had three bogeys, and you know, or four bogeys. Three of them three putt induced. Um, so Johnny, like you'd look at that round and be like, oh, he shot. I think it would. He shot seventy three, maybe. Um, is way shot or 72. I'm sorry. I don't have that in front of me, but, uh, you know, you think like looking back, like the Wikipedia warrior would look and say, Oh, he, he gutted that out and out. And Johnny right at the end of the telecast, great line. He goes, this wasn't around. He had to gut it out. This was a, this was ball striking personified. He hit it so good. (laughs) Like this was, he made nothing. And shot 73, or she had shot two over for the day. Like, you know, it was two putt birdies. It, he was he was incredible from tee to green. Like, fairway green, right in the right spot all, all afternoon. And it was, a, like, Phil closed it to two for a split second, then Tiger birdied another. I mean, he yeah. came in, he had a five-shot lead. He bogeyed two of the last three holes. Like, it, it didn't really matter. It was never, never super close. Yeah. Um let, let's do before we do Tiger. Let's go to Sergio. So this is a. Well, you want? I, I want to start with Maggard. Flash flood warnings. I'm getting Gary Van Sickle. Can we article. start with Maggard? Um, real quick. Sure. sure. Maggard was in the mix. He finished third. He still couldn't putt. He was a horrible putter. And uh, I just have to point out, he was wearing a, a ping TSI hat. Anybody that played golf back in the day, the big sure. black driver, 
it was a game changer driver. I I, I found that. Yeah. I chuckled about that, but his outfit was truly, truly spectacular. I don't know how a man puts this all these colors on, but he somehow did it. He was wearing black shoes, all black shoes, brown pants, a yellow shirt with a tan ping cap. The cap was tan and the bill was navy blue. Brown, navy blue, and black. All black shoes. All together. Not a good recipe. This was also Faldo wore the iHeart New York yes, shirt while yes. the special exemption finishes fifth. Like, un, like, how did he's a poofer, all time poofer? I don't understand how he finished uh, on a special exemption. Finished uh, fifth. He was yucking it up with all the crowd too. He was like a fan favorite out there. They loved him. This maybe got him into the broadcast booth where he came out of his shell. So, uh, all right, let's go to it Sergio. Got, it got him into the next year's U.S. Open too. Did he play? Olympia I think Fields? so. Yeah, okay. I think he did. But from All special right. from special exemption to exempted to next year's, that's a rare feat. Yeah. Did Ricky stuff. do that at uh, at the PGA though? I I think he might have, or or gotten into the other majors for next year. I think via top something 10 12 uh, yeah i don't think it's 12 um all right so here's sergio this was like where it really started to turn on sergio he plays in the final group on sunday with tiger but a lot of events before we got to sunday van sickles lead he was 19 and having way too much fun while also giving tiger woods a bit of a scare this was medina that week at the moment sergio became a star he was el nino last week 2002 we're speaking of you wanted to spank him he was the baby, El Wino, a blast of hot air. When the black horse at Beth Page kicked his butt during a Rainy Ross second round, he blamed others, including Woods and the USGA, which was just what a kid would do. It wasn't pretty. He was 22, having no fun. <clears throat> and he gave Woods another mild scare. That moment, Garcia was in danger of going from hero to villain like a pro wrestler with a suddenly new script. And of course, we would come to know Sergio much more often in this light over the next 20 some years. Uh, so the fans started giving him the stick after, you know, he was this hero, the, the guy leaping down the fairways at Medina were only three years removed from them. They just don't talk to Sergio. They like to talk back. Come on, show us your waggle. They were shouting. Your girlfriend has more majors than you. This was when he was dating Martina Hingis, who I guess was like walking around and frequently showing on camera. Like this was a hot storyline. Sergio was dating Martina Hingis. Um, I remember that romance. What's with golf golfers and tennis players? I feel like yeah, R- Rory and Woz- uh, Wozniacki. Yeah, it didn't work out there either. Uh, I guess his dad, Victor Norm- Norman, Norman, and uh, Chris Everett. Yeah, yeah, those are some other ones, indeed. Victor, his dad, said pre-round advice on Sunday: no putts, no possible to make birdies. So you got to make putts. Make birdie. Didn't he make, didn't make any, any putts. Didn't make a birdie. This, this is amazing to read, you know, given the 19, 18 years that intervened. This qualified as a learning experience for Garcia. The Spaniard has a chance to be to Woods what Johnny Miller or Lee Trevino or Tom Woodson was Tom Watson was to Jack. Garcia won the he had won the Mercedes out at uh, Kapalua. And then he won the Spanish Open. He was a contender at the Masters, but was eight shots back, you know, of Woods, even, even though he contended, technically contended. But 
He's made a convincing case. He's 22 that he has inherited the mantle of Colin Montgomery, who's 38, as the second best player to never have won a major. That a label that's hardly a worry for a 22 year old at the time. So this was uh, this was this is the round where he gets pissed off about having to play in conditions they said they wouldn't make Tiger. Rain and wind swept in early in the round. This is Friday. Woods played well. He shot a 68, even though he had to turn his baseball hat around uh, while he putted. Uh, Garcia had an afternoon start, got the worst weather. Worse, it, the rain and wind intensified. Temperature dropped enough that players could see their breath most of the afternoon. He struggled to a 74, and he vented and, or, and made to order sound bites. Here are the highlights per uh, Van Sickle, just one after another. If Tiger Woods had been out there, I think play would have been called. Do we have to be swimming before play is stopped? If you get the luck of getting the good side of the draw, like somebody seems to do in these tournaments, and you're the best player in the world, and you make a lot of putts, that's tough to beat. Just like, it's Friday, man. You're always it's already saying, like, you're, you're down in the dumps. The people have to realize we're trying as hard as we can out there. And sometimes they make stupid comments. They don't make those comments to the bigger players. Maybe they're afraid of them. So Sergio thinking, like, they take it easy on the bigger players. Uh, he apparently flips off the fans at the 16th hole because they keep, you know, hit the ball, Sergio, and all the waggle. He was waggling quite a bit, and this is where it really started to become noticeable. Oh, it was so bad. It was, it was so yeah. bad. Like, I, I, like, forgot about it when I was watching the telecast. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we used to have to endure this. So then, like, he does this on Friday. He flips him off. He says he didn't. You know, he just made a fist motion, but it was definitely a, a flip off. So they're heck giving him the business the rest of the week. Sergio, don't step in any puddles. Your girlfriend isn't as good looking as Tiger's. It's cloudy. You better go into the clubhouse. And they dubbed him El Waggle. So, like, apparently Sergio, like, takes his lumps, right? He, he kind of, like, you know, he, he gets the heckling – you know, when you moan about it Friday, it's only going to intensify on the weekend. Uh, but Maggard, he played with on Saturday. It wasn't too bad until the end when the beer started flowing. It got really bad and rowdy in the last four holes. But he played some of his best golf of the, the tournament there. He played five birdies coming in on Saturday. Um, you Real quick on the Hengus uh, uh, Elon stuff. Yep, yep. yep. So the, the tabloids, this is five, the tabloids, Needless to say, we're slobbering over the duel of the girlfriends, Elon Nordegren yeah. uh, and Martina Hingis. Someone half-jokingly suggested that if Disney, one of Tiger's uh, ma- many sponsors, was smart, they would set up a Woods Nordegren versus Garcia Hingis match for their next hokey primetime battle of the Bighorn, or whatever it was called. That's pretty funny. So Garcia plays pretty well as the heckling intensifies a Saturday. Um, but then, so after saying, you know, they would have, they wouldn't have made Tiger play on Friday afternoon. He writes a note of apology and puts it up in Tiger's locker uh, before, I think it's, it's the fi- before the final round. So then he's like, Oh shit, I'm paired with them. I mean, that's my, me reading it between the lines. He puts it up in his locker, apologizing uh, you know, he's like, it was rough out there with the fans. I'm glad it happened. I did it to myself. Sometimes we say, say things we shouldn't. Sometimes I'm my own worst opponent. So he was like, you know, vacillating between 
immature on Friday, being more mature on the later in the sounds weekend. Sounds like sounds um, like standard uh, Sergio behavior in his thirties. Yeah, immature. Then the apology tour comes. He he was seasoned in the apology tour early on. Yeah, this is good. This I think this is Garrity at eight forty p.m. on Saturday, and this is like. Writers getting in the locker room, which we don't get in often anymore, especially now in COVID. At 8.40 on Saturday, well after his competitors had left the grounds, Woods wrapped up an hour-long session on the range. Like the thick boy yeah. last year at Wingfoot. Going deep into dark. He cut through the darkness, walked upstairs to his locker, where he found a handwritten apology from Sergio, who after shooting 74 in a relentless rain the previous day, had made the inflammatory comments. Um it always seems like there's one guy who's lucky when he needs to be. If Tiger would have been out there, USJ would have stopped play. Upon reading Garcia's note, Woods broke into a huge smile. So Garrity or somebody's there in the locker room, sees him reading it. Then a reporter asked Woods if he was having any fun playing this tournament. He goes, oh, yeah. I just love competing. The fans are great. You have no choice but to enjoy them, really. Really, this is great. So, like... He's just a pig in shit reading this apology letter from Sergio throws out those lines, praising the fans probably to, you know, lay the foundation for Sunday. And like Sergio and Tiger were, you know, sort of had a jovial friendship, right? 99. And this is where it, I mean, had to start to turn both Sergio's image, Sergio's relationship with Tiger was, this was really where it really started. Uh, but Sunday they made nice, nice on the T showdown fizzle. Uh, Woods, I love this quote. Woods three putts his first two, which we talked about, but Sergio lets him off the hook. He made his three putt of his own at three uh, and bogeyed three of the next nine. Made only one birdie, shot 74, six shots back. Quote from Sergio, unbelievable. I had him at the beginning and I let him off. He did what he had to do, but he did it because I let him. So, I mean... I mean, it wasn't like he was three shots off. Six shots back. He was six shots back. Six. He did what he had to do, but he did it because I let him. When you're right. six shots off of something, anything that happens in the round is is a complete inconsequential thing. Like, yeah. you you weren't even close. Like, you need to be maybe, maybe within two for there to be any if ands or buts uttered, there should never be. But six shots off is just an utter ridiculous. And anybody that claims they were close when they're six shots back, you should laugh in their face about. All right, we'll wrap Sergio, on Sergio deserves here. to be laughed at for that he comment did it because I let him. Uh, we'll wrap it's on like Woody Sergio Austin. Here. It's a very Woody Austin esque. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, Garcia, later in front of the clubhouse that Sunday night after he'd lost by six, it was a very positive week. It made me stronger mentally. Hopefully one day I'll be able to say that I was a U.S. Open champion. I'm really starting to like this championship. Uh, that did not happen. And then uh, this was one this more. This was like the the beginning of, of Sergio just getting pummeled on Sundays by Tiger. Yeah. Yeah. This, so this is, this feeds right, plays right into this. So, ah, I wish I had the writer. I think maybe Michael Silver, Michael Silver hammered upon this. So Sergio and Phil, obviously, I think they 
did they play together on Saturday? Maybe, mm-hmm. or they um, they embraced like soldiers returning from a grueling battle, brought together by the futility of their cause. This was Sunday after they both lost the tiger. Darkness had descended on New York State's Bethpage Park. The loudest, most brazen crowd in U.S. Open history had dispersed when Sergio Garcia spotted Jim McKay, Bones McKay, the caddy for fellow failed warrior Phil Mickelson on a walkway outside the clubhouse. Garcia, fresh off watching playing partner Tiger Woods secure the second leg of the Grand Slam, told McKay, I'm sorry I couldn't put more pressure on him. As he turned to leave the grounds, so they're like hugging. They like Bones and Sergio like hug. I'm sorry I couldn't put more pressure on him. As he turned to leave, the impetuous Spaniard stopped and gave the caddy a heartfelt hug. You know what, Garcia said? It's just a matter of time. So I'm really starting to like this championship. It's just a matter of time. Here we are, 2021, and, uh, you know, still searching. Happy he got, happy he got his Masters. He's got one yeah, major. You know? But it was just, it's just interesting to go back and read it and, and you know, 2002 so all right that was sergio's very very eventful week and really when his image started to turn um do you want to do phil real quick oh one other thing about sergio from the telecast okay this is for all the european media folk sergio on 12 i think launches one just left of left Right into the fans, didn't yell four, just (laughs) hit one of the fans, no four yell, just instead is, you know, pouting about it. That's great. That's great. Other thing, Johnny just cannot handle Sergio's pre-shot routine. (laughs) So he... Johnny's like, I mean, the guy goes 25 seconds without looking at a target. Of course he's uncomfortable over the shot. This was right after he launched it into the fans. That's great. That's so good. And then Johnny says, a a quote unquote, we're still waiting for that great Sergio Tiger duel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, six shots back. It was everything you want. I mean, God, think about it now. The guy's writing apology letters in his in his <laughs> locker the night before, and we get him in the final pairing of the U.S. Open. Imagine how nuts we'd be going for this. Well, like, the guy about, on top yeah. of the world. Think about, think about that. Like, you're going into the ring with him the next day, and you're writing an apology <laughs> letter. Don't apologize. Just go in there. Whoever gave him that advice was terrible advice. Like, he should have gone in yeah. there with some edge. He cowered yeah. to him. Tiger was probably smiling because he was just like, I got this guy right where I want him. Yeah. Yep. Here's here's Phil talking about, you know, it's only a matter of time from Sergio. Phil. Again, we don't have a lot on, like, they, it wasn't that close. It was like a snoozer come Sunday. Phil, I know it will happen eventually. Mickelson insisted after his valiant weekend run at Woods. Which, you know, still, it still could. Happened. Still could. Having the chance to compete against arguably the greatest player of all time is a special opportunity, and I'm getting closer to breaking through. On paper, again, this is Michael Silver, NFL writer, who was, did the gamer aside. On paper, the People's Open was won by the People's Champion. As Woods grew up 
on the ball mashing masses in Southern California. I've slept in cars to get tea times, Woods said. I grew up playing at public facilities, too. Yet judging by the disparity in crowd noise, you'd have thought Woods was a pampered country clubber while Mickelson was the second coming of Arnold Palmer. Phil's fan club was so rowdy on Sunday they was forced to back away from a 22-foot birdie putt on the 14th because spectators lining the next hole were chanting his name. He's putting yeah. on 14. It was incredible. Um, so they talk about Sergio coming up short. And they go, then it, Garcia's only 22. Imagine the frustration of Mickelson, who is 0 for 40 in Grand Slams. Criticized for risky play and collapses in big events, Mickelson played smart, gutsy golf at Bethpage, and he left the better, prouder player. Now his growing legion of fans will dare to dream. Can Mickelson stand up to Woods at Muirfield, which is, you know, the British coming down the pike next month? The way Lee Trevino did 30 years ago to Jack Nicholas, the last man before Tiger to win the first two legs of the slam. That will be Trevino, part two, where he shut the door. I mean, anything else on Phil? I, I didn't have a yeah, ton on I Phil. Got, Obviously, I other so. than the fans were just uh, obsessed with them. I, and we then I want, want to get to Tiger and the slam talk. But All right. So, so Phil is still a titleist guy at this point. All right. All right. Phil played his first 42 holes, five over. And at a certain point, I think it was uh, like before he had the bogeys coming in, he, he had played the last 25 seven under. So that was like the whole talk was like, well, he should take a ton of confidence out of this because he was completely out of it. He was like 11 shots back through 42 holes right. and then battled back. Like this was, uh, you know, he was he was a disaster earlier. Seven, he had 17 birdies, which was the most of anyone. Um, what uh, I can't remember which announcer. It might have been Johnny. Every hole, they said, it's like a heavyweight boxer coming into the ring on every hole, like the crowd. Yeah, right, right. Just pandemonium. Um, so Phil's, like, chasing. He was playing great golf, and that's what they kept talking about. Like, hey, this is not, like, this is two guys playing outstanding golf and Phil just was like he was behind he had the bad start and he just like he didn't have the horsepower like that was the other thing he didn't have the horsepower the tiger had like that par five was telling because you know Phil goes bus driver three wood short tiger hit driver iron pin high um and then uh Phil another just random little tidbit um the 16th hole or 15th hole Phil rips a, a shot from the rough, spins it off the green from the dead center of the green. That would never happen with a modern golf ball. Yeah. Like, right. He missed a short. Right. So uh, six, he bogeys 16, 17 uh, coming in. 16, he misses like a five-footer. And that at that point, it, it, it's kind of over. And 17, he yes. had a terrible three-putt. But the thing is, like, Tiger bogeyed two of the last three coming in. If it, you know, if he doesn't make those bogeys, like, he, Tiger has more pressure on him. He kind of gave it away by on the, by his play down the stretch. Yeah, yeah. I, like, what was it? Like, like, you, you, like it's like there's a-, a reminder that, like, he was, he was three shots back, but, like, you know, everybody's like, oh, he needs a bunch of birdies. But, like, those those final four holes are tough. And, like, you make – if he makes pars, it's, like, a legitimate chance that he Tiger could screw up. Right, right. So, uh, 
Mickelson birdies 11 and 13. Guts within two, right? Mm-hmm. Woods like just nukes a drive on 13. Almost I, makes his iron. Yeah, his iron. The eagle, putt. The yeah. eagle came up like one revolution short. Hit driver iron where where Mickelson hit driver three was short. And Mickelson took it. a better line off the tee. Like Tiger's over on the left side of the fairway. The hole moves a little right. Phil hit it right up the right edge of the fairway. Like perfect line, short as he could make it. He, driver three was short. And that just like, here's the thing is like, that's the thing that got lost for Tiger is like everybody got as long as him. Like the power, this is where that, like, it was so clear that modern technology hurt Tiger so much in the, in this, watching this, because like, you just watch it and it's like, God, this guy's so much different than everybody else. And then modern tech, the big drivers and, and the Pro V1X gave everybody the opportunity to keep up with him a little bit more. Okay. You want to get a bit to Tiger? You have anything else on Phil? While Let's we talk continue? about Tiger. The police were out uh, of control across the board. <laughs> So you just talked about how the equipment caught up to him. I, I don't mean to be like state the obvious and, and be repetitive here, but Tiger, you know, we can quantify the sort of mystifying excellence and of Tiger in many ways. And here's one of them. He just won. This was his seventh major win in 11 starts, seven in 11, seven in 11 major championships. Like that I don't think that will ever happen again. Brooks got close, I suppose. Seven in 11, like starting from Medina 99. Think obviously about, think about the inevitability of, of playing against him. Like just the feel feeling of him just being anywhere around the leader. Right. How you must have felt. Well, that's sort of what happened Sunday with Phil Sergio. It's just like, it's a dud. It's like, they don't even, it's not really a, you know, I guess some punches throwing, but not really. I try to like quantify that now thinking about someone who won seven, someone wins seven of 11 major starts. It like doesn't seem possible even for Brooksy Rory, uh, obviously like uh, Rory has won in seven you years. Think Rory's going to win seven. Of no, the I'm just stuff. like, who could do There's it? There's a thought in your brain. That makes no, Justin Thomas, like seven nobody, of 11. Nobody. Yeah. Not, right. Bri- not Bryson. Nobody. So he is two over. DJ could. 70. DJ could. He shot a two over seven. Austin told me to hit it here and did that. So his 72 hole, 277 was three under. He's the 20th player with multiple U.S. Open titles. Um, so he won 2002. Uh, he became the sixth start to finish winner, matching his feat of 2000 at Pebble Beach. Uh, I thought it was interesting how Michael Silver framed like in the game or the crowd interactions. Um, and they talk about Phil, like the clock keeps ticking and guess which relentless 26 year old keeps kicking his butt woods and winning this blessedly unruly U S open by three strokes, took home, three strokes, took home his eighth career major. And can you continue to siphon the suspense out of this sport? As with the Masters in April, Woods won going away despite a merely workmanlike final round. And there's scant hope that things will be any different at next month's British Open at Muirfield in Scotland. The man <clears throat> has won 7-11 without hardly a hint of drama. He was the only player to finish under par at Beth Page. Led wire to wire. Sounds crazy, but wake us in August when his Grand Slam is almost complete. And he talked about how 
He was just sort of deadpan the whole time. This is when Tiger probably wasn't the cheeriest guy. Um, you know, the, some of the, the, the guy we see now or, you know, chatting with, with friends, you know, chatting with the colleagues and other players. The man, this is Michael Silver again. The man almost never displays anything other than a focused scowl during play. Has any great golfer, hell, any great athlete ever looked so grim while doing his job? Throw in the machine-like efficiency with which he dispatches his foes and the distance grows. He got one of the biggest ovations on Thursday after ducking into a porta potty en route to the 15th tee. Emerging a minute later, as if by relieving himself, he had revealed his humanity. Are you guys clapping because I'm potty trained? Woods quipped. And that was like the loudest, uh, you know, ovation and laugh he got of the week. It's just like talked about how this people really gravitated towards a rooting on Phil B giving Sergio the stick and then sort of C Tiger was just sort of had this scowl and was inevitable. And of course they're like rooting for him. There's that. They felt this was like the perfect time for this to go to a publicly owned course. Right. They felt like the game was sort of exploding. Tiger was taking the game to the masses. This was of course the masses could play. Um, but, but they oddly sort of gravitated more towards Phil uh, just from the reading you get, I will say this. Writers on the ground tend to like lean into the fans thing way too much. And I speak from experience being one of them. Like, how can you add value to being there? And value being there sometimes is by hearing things shouted out of the gallery. And I think sometimes reading these old gamers, you have to wonder like how much weight you're putting into the fans, like the portrayal of the fans. So that's all I'll say. Um, what else do you want to do on Tiger? Obviously, you know, the entire framing is like he's going to win the Grand Slam. Of course, ironically, well, after Sergio does Do you know what the big, big storyline was going in? Like why he wasn't going to win? No, what was it? He he was 0 for 8 in par 70 major championships. Oh, so God. everybody was saying that. that he wasn't going to win because it's what? a par 70. What a dumb thing. Um, what a ridiculous thing. So... So in the, this was a stat they pulled. In the last five years, Tiger was birdieing par fives at over a 50% clip. Oh, my God. Um, here's, a, here's another thing. So Earl was talking about how like he had another notch to go. And Johnny was talking about it. And, and Johnny, like keep in mind, Johnny, like one of the greatest ball strikers of all time. Right. Like... You're talking about one of the greats of greats when it comes to hitting a golf ball. He says this regarding Tiger. He goes, it's beyond my comprehension how he could go one level beyond where he is uh, right now. But at his age, with his power, and he just like trails up. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's good. Um so they, they like, oh, I got to throw in one more nugget on Phil and Sergio, just like their helplessness. They thought they could team up. <laughs> I found this Saturday night. I guess Mickelson birdied the 17th hole, just total pandemonium. And then seconds later, um, <laughs> Bogey 18, after, right? <laughs> no, Garcia sank a putt on 16. So I guess they must be, yeah, like 17 to part three, 16, like the greens near the tee, you know, obviously part three. Um, Nicholson birdie 17 total pandemonium 
Garcia sinks a birdie putt at 16 seconds later, turns and points toward Mickelson allegedly in like a gesture of unity <laughs> is how it was described, like pointing up ahead as if like, I don't know, they're tag teaming up on Tiger to rile up the fans. Obviously, it didn't work. Tiger, like, you know, he's the only player under par cruises to a six shots over Tiger or six shots over Sergio, uh, three shots uh, over Phil. Uh, easily wins his second U.S. Open. He'd win again, obviously, in 2008 at Torrey Pines. Um, the talk turns to, like, Muirfield. Like, he's won 7-11. Nobody seems close. He's going to win. Ironically enough, of course, there's where we get, the after Sergio's draw comments, right? This, he always seems to get the good side of the draw. That's where, where Tiger gets absolutely blown out to sea as the weather rolls into Muirfield. Shoots, I think it was his highest round in I a major. I think like an 81 major. or something, right? It was 80, 81. That may have been eclipsed in one of those chip yips, but I don't think so. So uh, that so that's where his people are like, he's going to win the slam. Of course, we got the Tiger slam later on, but, you know, uh, it got washed away, blown out to sea at Muirfield a, a month later. What else you got? Anything else? What's what's the watch like? I mean, it's it's as I recall, it's like not, some of these there's super not a cuts, lot going on. Some of these super cuts of Tiger, like swinging and like his approach shots, are like really. He did do that. The the third the his second shot into thirteen at Beth Page is the the famous. You know the walk, yeah. the walk through with the club twirl, like the famous right. one that everybody uses as a gif. Now, yep. that that's yeah. the second shot at Beth Page, or second shot on the thirteenth at Beth Page. Um, you know, here's the year ends. The Pro V One X comes out. Tiger's playing oh, with God. shitty equipment for two years. He gets there no we majors. We've done Reese. We've got equipment. All right, now you're he gets right. no you're majors. Right. You know, he wins 7 of 11, and then he goes 0 for 10. And for eight of those, he was playing with shit equipment. Phil said as much at the 04 Ryder Cup. And then in 05, his equipment catches up, and he wins, let's see, yeah, five, or five of the next 12. Does he do the Tiger Slam? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, uh, like, the the reason Tiger's not, never got, to, maybe, maybe never gets to Jack, there are a lot of things that you could point to, but I think the clear thing to point to is that Frank Thomas of the USGA didn't do his job and let equipment run rampantly out of control. Rest in peace, Frank. But let equipment run rampantly out of control and it ruined, you know, a couple years of, of the greatest golf forever. Frank Thomas. I don't know why I keep saying the Tiger Slam came later. That was obviously 2000 and 01. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a what if, I suppose, right? I, I you can't. I say mean, the I'm the biggest Ernie. I'm the biggest Ernie fan in the world, but he picked up 25 yards in a year. <laughs> Smashing records in Kapalua. Right. Right. Phil, Phil, Ernie. Davis Love, Ratif Goosen, all have career years in 03 and 04. VJ, all of them, yep. career years for those two years. Tiger has pretty mediocre, actually bad bad years for that point of his career. It's, it's not a coincidence. All right. That does it. We had, I mean, I think this was a fun 
thing to look back on. Obviously, you have Sergio, you have Tiger, you have Phil, you have this Municipal first ever golf. publicly owned golf. Obviously, the history of it getting there. Uh, I enjoyed doing some research on this one. Uh, any other parting thoughts? Uh, that's fine. Good. All right. Thanks to the U.S. Open Victory Club for supporting these spotlights. We'll be back. The regular U.S. Open podcast at another Every publicly day. owned golf course. Every day this week from Torrey Pines. Uh, appreciate your continued support. Leave a review. Support the sponsors. Buy some merch. Whatever you want to do. Or just listen. All we do. All we care about is listen. Feedback. Interact. Have, have a little bit of fun with it. And we'll talk to you the rest of the week.